It's the 11 Dubcast. I am Johnny. He's Andy. Welcome back. It's good to have you. It's good to be able to continue to talk about all these great things as, as we get into football and whatnot. This has been a slightly quieter week, I think. Uh, not as much, you know, kind of groundbreaking things going on. I think everybody's still in quite a bit of a holding pattern when it comes to just everything, I guess. I, you know, I, I would love. I would love to be able to make definitive statements about anything in the next few months. But right now it feels like everyone is just kind of bracing to see what the next maybe two or three weeks look like. And if things get better, which it doesn't super look like that when it comes to how the cases are going out with COVID that appears to be going up and a lot of states are starting to walk back some of the reopening plans uh, if that continues, it's going to be a lot harder, I think, for college football to kind of reemerge here and, and figure out some really solid ideas about what the fall is going to look like. On the other hand, if things turn around a little bit, I think maybe we'll we'll figure that out. I will say this, though, Andy, just briefly before we get into the two things we're going to talk about today, it does appear based on some of the statements and other commentary coming out of these colleges that they're going to give it a go really kind of no matter what. I mean, we've talked about some of these numbers coming out of like Clemson and LSU and Texas and whatnot. That doesn't seem to be dissuading some of these athletic departments from continuing what they're doing yet. So that is interesting to me because to me, it seems like they're still invested in trying to make sure that this thing happens. Yeah. And I think there's a big obvious reason why we've talked about it. And it's the do re me show me the money. Right. Uh, as you and I were getting ready to fire up the recorder tonight, our friends at that school up north fired off a press release suggesting that the University of Michigan's athletic department's expecting a budget surplus of about a million dollars this fiscal year. However, okay. comma, and this is a big comma, due to the ongoing COVID-19 pandemic, the athletic department is projecting a budget deficit for the coming fiscal year that begins July 1st. Um, so, and, and oh, by the way, this is the same conversation that's going on, you know, around the country. So specifically in this particular fiscal 21 operating budget for big blue, the department's expecting spectator admission revenues down 50% year over year. That's a projection they say and underscore that there's no final, um, you know, decision by the time of June budget deadlines in terms of what that'll actually look like. So they're projecting a 50% decrease in revenue but that's not based on a policy of 50% attendance or whatnot. Uh, and so, you know, when you're talking about um, uh, big deficits and, and a drop of potentially half your revenue in one major revenue bucket, they're looking at, um, you know, cutting salaries, wages, and benefits about $6 million year over year, you know, which over the size of a 180 or some million dollar budget, maybe that's not as big as you would expect it to be, but it's still $6 million. And, salaries, wages, and benefits for staff. That's a, that's pretty big for an athletic department. So, you know, that's, what's driving the, Hey, we're not changing our plans just yet because if schools don't have football, okay. And schools that don't have the financial resources of our rivals to the North, it's kind of threat level midnight, my friend Yeah, (laughs) for college athletics. So, you know, well, what do you, what do you, I mean, I wouldn't, I would not want to be an athletic director at this point in time. Granted, they're paid real adult money to solve these kind of problems, but this is kind yeah. of a generational black swan event that I don't think you prepared for as an assistant 
under athletic director for sports happiness. Right. Or even if you're in charge of the big, if you're a commissioner of any major conference that's looking at making a lot of money through March Madness, which is a huge, I mean, again, that's, that's more for the NCAA's consideration, but a lot of revenue has already been lost. And it is such a difficult thing to just have to suddenly deal with all of a sudden and not have, you know, I, I doubt many plans are in place for a COVID-19 contingency. I don't think they had a lot of pandemic preparation plans in their back pocket when this all went down. So it it's difficult. I understand why they want to do it. I've also said both in this space and on the website that not every program, not every university needs a football program. On the other hand, Without football, uh, in a lot of cases, uh, a lot of those other sports don't exist. So this is a really difficult consideration for these, uh, not just, you know, athletic departments, but for the universities as a whole. What What is this going to look like going forward? And yeah, you're right. Michigan, Ohio State, Texas, all these other places, they can weather the storm, uh, provided it doesn't go on for more than a, a season. But um, a lot of these smaller schools are going to be faced with some really, really tough decisions going forward. It's going to be, it's going to be hard. It's going to be really hard for a lot of these places. And, it's the and, same and, and I want to interject one thing. I mean, you, you said it and I agree schools like Michigan, Ohio state can weather the storm, but I mean, here's the thing. When you're looking at some of these reductions in spending, even at a school, the size of Michigan, in other words, you know, you're, you're cutting $6 million out of, out of your salary budget. Of course, you're seeing other, you know, expenditures cut as well. Team and game expenses, they said are going to be down six and a half million. Uh, you know, a number of other areas where you're trimming cost items where you can or, you know, holding off on construction projects or other capital spend expenditures. But but if you're cutting that much money, even a school the size of Michigan, and I would expect that Ohio State when fiscal 21 budget comes out, we'll probably see similar stories. Yeah. Uh, you know, that that's a symptom of a pretty big problem because although Ohio state can weather the storm, it's not going to weather the storm unscathed. Right. Yeah. Nobody's getting out of this clean. It's, it's going to be a lot of hard choices at a lot of places, even at Ohio state with a $200 million revenue typically, which you would hope would help them save for a rainy day. But still, I mean, you've got, 30, what, 36 varsity sports that you've got to fund, mostly coming out of the pockets of uh, the revenue that football brings in. So, yeah, it's it's difficult. And we're going to see what trimming the fat looks like in a lot of these athletic departments. And I, I honestly, here's the other thing I'll say about this before we move on. This is also an opportunity for people to, I think, really take a close look at how these athletic departments operate financially. Because if you're a public institution, you do need to be held accountable for how you spend money. And even though at a place like Ohio State, the athletic department is largely separate from the university, at least financially, because they don't take any subsidies or student you know, athletic fees or anything like that. It's still an opportunity to see how they spend their money and what they're spending it on and what they prioritize. And so you as a fan can then make informed choices about you know, how you feel about what they decide to spend the money they do have on and, and whether or not you want to support it or not. So I would just, my advice to people listening to this and paying attention to Ohio State Sports is to keep an eye on how this is done because it's going to say a lot about how these departments are run 
And for some schools, it may say some really positive, encouraging things. And for some other schools, it may say, say some really negative, um, not so good things. So I would just I'd keep an eye on that as this progresses, because it's it's going to be relevatory. Um, so that's that's going to keep happening. We've got a lot going on with all of that, and, and we'll continue to discuss it well through the summer and, and into fall. But I want to talk about two things that I thought were kind of interesting uh, that pops up, you know, across my feed today. And I remember, so I've been doing this a little bit. I've been on 11 Warriors since 2010, I think April of 2010. And one of the first things that I got to experience in terms of major news items was conference realignment. <laughs> and I was super, I mean, it was to, to that point as a, not just a writer, but as a football fan, this is one of the most exciting I would say maybe 48 hour periods that I can remember outside of actual sports taking place because it felt like a huge seismic shift. Like everything was possible. Everything and anything was possible. You had no idea what schools were going where. Was Notre Dame going to join the Big Ten? You know, was Ohio State going to form its own conference? There were so many possibilities up in the air and it felt like, you know, everything was changing second by second. And this is one of the first times I think that Twitter was fully weaponized when it came to sports information as well, because now you had these athletic departments issuing statements every five minutes talking about what they were thinking about doing and what was going to happen. And ultimately, I think while there was significant change, it wasn't quite as groundbreaking as maybe it, it felt at the beginning although you know the big 10 ended up with nebraska which was super cool and i think a, a really logical step forward but some of the really bigger changes like texas joined the big 10 or something like that the big 12 completely imploding it didn't exactly happen um but regardless conference alignment is interesting and fun unless you do it the way pat 40 suggested today uh, with Sports Illustrated. And so I saw he wrote this article and it's this huge big thing. I mean, he wrote a lot for this and to he put a lot of mental effort into what I think is a really, really terrible idea. And he essentially completely reformatted all of these conferences. He now has what I think 10 total conferences for pretty much all of the uh, uh, 230 some programs here in uh in college athletics and in major college athletics division one and i'll just i I don't want to go through all the different ones and whatnot but i'll just say which schools he included for ohio state's conference which is he calls the uh what is this the great mid-east so you've got akron (laughs) which you know that's a good way to start i think (laughs) that's the (laughs) that's the team that's the team that you've got there at the, you know, at the beginning. It's, it's an alphabetical order. Anyway, so I'll read, I'll read it in terms of like how they have prestige. They call it the FBS profile rank. So I assume that's kind of a prestige rank. But they've got Michigan, Ohio State. you got to keep that rivalry. Michigan State. And then after that, it just falls off a freaking cliff. Indiana, Purdue, Cincinnati, Miami of Ohio, Ohio, Toledo, Akron, Kent State, and then Ball State. I appreciate the gumption. To put in what two, four, six, seven different Ohio schools in a single conference? I don't know that this is really going to bring the juice. Now he does allow for one non-conference opponent, and in Ohio State's case, that would be Penn State, which is logical. But 
I, first of all, I cannot abide any conference realignment that takes out Illibuck. That's unacceptable on the face. But that would be a dire, dire conference realignment. And, and the, the rest of them just really aren't that much better either. I mean, you've got essentially all of the, the traditional SEC powers in one conference, uh, in, in the quote unquote Sunbelt conference, but you also kind of shoehorn in there with, you know, Louisiana tech and Arkansas state. There's just, there are so many bad conferences in this coupled with one or two total power conferences. And that's why conference realignment was so exciting because in 2010, you're like, all right, anything can happen, but we're going to get a more parody. It's going to make more sense. And what Pat 40 has done is he has just taken the same problem that we have where you have stacked conferences and conferences that are just dominated by a couple teams and done the exact same thing, but he shuffled the teams. It makes no sense. I have no idea why he did this. Um, and then I'll, I'll get to the Mid-American Conference in a second. But how do I want to ask you two questions here, Andy. How do you feel, A, about conference realignment in general, and B, do you see some positives or negatives with uh, Pat Forty's idea here? So I'll, I'll answer the second part first. So the one positive about this is that we're talking about conference realignment. Sure. And after that, it's all a hot steaming pile of dumpster. <laughs> I, I just like Pat Forty is one of those guys that throws out a lot of content and way too many times I read it and think, why did I do that to myself? <laughs> and this is one of those exercises where I look at it and think, because because I, I start picking it apart and say, all right, I, I'm going to take this somewhat seriously. And I'll look at your great Mideast conference and say, all right, you've put every Ohio school in the mix, plus some Michigan and Indiana schools. But why don't you just go whole hog here and say, uh, because you've got in the great Midwest conference, the directional Michigan schools, well, heck, if you're going to throw every Ohio FBS program into the mix, why not just make it the Ohio Michigan conference and put Western Central and Eastern Michigan and, and let Indiana and Purdue figure it out for themselves somewhere else. You know, them and Ball State can go, you know, right. fight with the Illinois or something. You know, let's let's do this right. Why is Ohio getting all of the the uh, FBS schools in one bucket, but but the Michigan schools have to split between the Great Mid East and Great Midwest? Come on, Pat, like go for the <laughs> gold here. You know, so that that's the one good thing is that we're talking about this. The reason that's a good thing is because I like you watched conference realignment in my earliest days as a reader at 11 warriors with great interest. So I, I joined the site uh, as a commenter or fired up the old profile in October of 2012. And at that time, users um, were still invited to blog uh, on the site. And so I, I was a frequent blogger because I'm a writer by background and, and enjoy the written word and, and conference expansion and realignment tripped my trigger. That was one of those things that, you know, you could put a modicum of analysis into, you could do a little bit of, of, of reading and research and, and try to get a feel for, okay, what would make, what would make things better? What would make sense? Because you could just throw something against the wall. Like, you know, it'd be great is if the big 10 added all of the good schools and got rid of all of the bad schools. Let's just do, <laughs> you know, like as a fan, you could just go say, yeah, we want um, Texas and we want Notre Dame and we want uh, Alabama and piss on everybody else. But right. that's, those are things that are never going to happen. So you'd sit down and say, all right, so we've added Nebraska. What, what does Nebraska have that future Big Ten can't, you know, what does the Big Ten have in, 
in common? What are Big Ten schools have in common? And so, like I sat down and said, okay, these are these are some things that you'd like, you know. So generally, you're talking about you know large public flagship institutions. Typically, they're members of the American Asso- Association of American Universities (AAU). Um, you know, a lot of land grant schools, though not all. Um, you know, so there are, there are a few exceptions. Okay, Northwestern's a smaller private school, but it was a founding member of the conference. So, you know, that, that that's an exception. Yeah, Nebraska is no longer a member of the AAU, but it was at the time it was admitted into the Big Ten. Uh, you know, so it had been a, a member of the AAU and checked off most of the academic boxes that the the people who actually run the Big Ten conference, the university presidents, care about, that sort of thing. So, you know, anyway, I wrote quite a few blog posts about expansion, kind of kind of like exactly what you said about your early days on the site. It, it, it was exciting. It was interesting. And you could see what the future might look like. So I tended to be one who went the opposite of 40 instead of saying, oh, we're going to have 10 super regional conferences with 12 members apiece. I was more like the idea that we would eventually move to like four super conferences yeah. in the FBS, you know, because at that time it really did look like the big 12 might actually go the way of the dodo. Yeah. And you'd see maybe Texas on the table as a potential Big Ten candidate. You know, here's a large land-grant institution, um, you know, pub- public, fa- uh, not land-grant, but a large flagship institution, rather. Uh, you know, b- b- prime football-type school, good academics, you know, research institution, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There were a lot of things that you could see coming in. There. You you might say, okay, it's finally time for Notre Dame to, you know, put their big boy pants on and join a conference instead of, piddling along with this notion of being independent. And, uh, you know, so there were things like that, that, Hey, maybe this could happen. And you fast forward eight years and nothing's happened. Right. Which is kind of wild to me because I think we all thought something was going to happen and we found this new kind of homeostasis and Hey, the big Ten's making it the PAC 12, you know, hasn't really figured out how to make TV work yet, which is odd since TV comes from the PAC 12's <laughs> footprint uh, but by and large, it's, you're not reading stories every day about how the one conference or the other is on the verge of sudden death. Well, and here's the thing. So, I, and I, I really do, and it did especially enjoy these kind of conversations because it was about completely reshaping the entire face of what college football was going to look like. Because if you had these giant mega conferences, it would look nothing like what college rivalries and, and, bowl games, all this other stuff, completely everything would have to change. But what I find really interesting about this is that people take, I think, two tracks when they talk about this. And I don't just mean conference realignment. I mean, just reimagining what college football should look like in general. And either you have these incremental changes where you just kind of want to change small things, tweaks, make things a little bit better. Maybe, you know, just move one part here to another part there and, and try to get a better product. Or some people want to completely just change it wholesale. Here's my thing about Pat Forty. If you're going to write an article like this and, and put in a lot of time and effort, you got to go whole hog, all right? Don't give me a, a quote-unquote mid-Atlantic conference that is literally just the ACC plus, like, Old Dominion. Like, I don't care. That's not interesting to me. I want to see the wildest, craziest ideas that people can just throw at the wall. It doesn't matter if it sticks or not. This is the off-season have fun with it, be goofy, be weird, talk about relegation. How about that? Why don't we have a system in which these 
chronically underperforming teams are just kicked out of FBS. So we don't even have to talk about them. We don't have to have this stupid bottom 10 ranking every week that ESPN used to love to do. Just kick them out of there. We don't need to talk about them. Let's just have tiers and then figure out what the Premier League is. And again, this, these are all ideas that an Ohio State fan is going to offer because Ohio State will be in that upper echelon. But to me, it's about what the product is. And I want to see crazier ideas that involve, you know, getting a better product in a really radical way. So I'm, I'm all for changes, but I, I think people have to, you know, be a little creative with it. And, and I want to promote, you know, uh, an upcoming 11 Warriors barbershop you and I participated in that uh, talks about the college football playoff, which is a yeah. tangentially related uh, discussion, I think, to conference realignment. And, and it, I think what you just said is really um, something that came came to light in that conversation. It's about it's about taking the sport that we all love and and kind of exude this passion for and making it better Uh, what are what are ways we can do that and so much of that you look at what ohio state's done recently with announcing a home and home with alabama as an example you're you're getting to a point where you're seeing a better product because you're going to see ohio state playing more good football games by scheduling better teams pat's (laughs) pat's uh, conferences are going to give us more terrible football games in almost every example because of the system he set up with round robins like don't you want to see stanford play nevada hawaii and fresno state every single year oh <laughs> yes my heart goes into palpitations That's right <laughs> i mean in, in his rocky mountain conference you know yu is going to have um games against utah state wyoming and unlv every year if i'm a byu fan sign me up for those season tickets today you know like yeah. come on so that this is this is the big problem with this system i think when conference realignment spins up again if it does you're going to look and there, there are going to be conversations like we've had about maryland and rutgers joining the big 10 i think people still look and say, why did we do that? Like, has it really paid <laughs> off? I think we've been saying that for a while now. I think that's that's something that's been... Well, that's why, that's, why, been I mean, that's my point. Like, the conversation hasn't died down. Like, we continue oh, to no. say, why did we do that? And yeah. you can point, like, Maryland in basketball, okay, that's that's been okay. Um, yeah, they've been good. R- Rutgers in wrestling, uh, that was a good ad. You know, in football, no. Neither of them has added anything really useful to the conference. Well, uh, other than other than the canon. The canon thing... <laughs> You know, <laughs> mad props to Grandpa Joe and the Cannon because that's yeah. you know that part's legit. But I'm I have no problem with that. But Rutgers, just in general, their athletic department has been dire straits since before they joined the Big Ten. Oh yeah, continue to be in severe financial disarray ever since. And you would have thought that maybe the tens of millions of dollars that the Big Ten pours into that would you know maybe alleviate some of their issues, but it, instead it's just gotten worse. So. Yeah, the, Rutgers has definitely been the uh, the black sheep of the Big Ten family, and they have not turned their course around at all. So I I don't know. I, I think it's an interesting conversation. It's something you can check out. It's on the uh, the si.com website, the the Maven the Maven.com website. Wah, wah, and wah. Uh, yeah, and it's you know I I don't think it's really good, but it's it's something that maybe you can look at and, and think about and maybe get back to us about another set of. Um, listing determinations rankings i don't know exactly but i think it's in the same vein it's it's off season uh it's off season group thing hashtag uh, content yeah yeah 
it's the uh, the Big Ten All Decade Team, the the B One G, the Big Ten Network All Decade Team, and they're going through it this week. So Monday, uh, the 29th, uh, which is when we're recording this, they decided on the uh, best linebackers and best running backs of the uh, the 2010s from 2010 to 2019. And normally, this is off season content that I would I would kind of ignore because it's it's so subjective and. Ohio State has great players at every position, but because this is kind of the official mouthpiece of the Big Ten Network, they're not just going to fill it with Ohio State players, right? They, they, they could not get away with doing that. They want to show some kind of impartiality, so it's not just going to be your favorite Buckeyes. As a result, I also think that that means that they lean hard on fan favorites from around the, the conference rather than focusing on maybe the people who actually deserve it. However, because they started with running backs and linebackers, who I really genuinely think those are the two, those are the two positional groups that Ohio State fans, I think, have more maybe affinity for than any of the other groups. I think that is. I, I know we've had great defensive backs at Ohio State and great quarterbacks and all that and great wide receivers, but I really think linebackers and running backs are are embedded in the DNA of Ohio State fans. And so, therefore, you're going to have the, the biggest and strongest of pains about this. And I personally am a huge hater of one of these two people that they selected for the running backs, which would be Saquon Barkley and Jonathan Taylor. Jonathan Taylor, I have no problem with. If you look at the entirety of his career, it seems like the only bad games he ever had in his college career were against Ohio State. And even his, I think his last game against Ohio State, he had over 170 yards rushing. But overall, his career is, is up there with anybody's. And it's it's really incredible what he was able to do and the consistency with which he was able to do it. I am a Saquon Barkley hater. I think he was a very good college football athlete and, and running back and, and wide receiver. I don't think he was ever great. And if you look at the stats, I believe that's borne out. He did some really fantastic, flashy, amazing things, and then he would completely disappear the week after he would do those things. Uh, he was not consistent running the ball at all. People say, well, Penn State had a bad offensive line. Yeah, that's they didn't have a good offensive line while he was there. That doesn't ex- – like, I understand that but that's an excuse for why he wasn't that great, which means he shouldn't be on this list. So if he were truly, you know, one of the best or the best running back uh, for, you know, the big 10 in the 2010s, uh, you got to overcome that and, and have more than like four or five 100 yard rushing games a season, which he never did. So yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of that. And I think Ezekiel Elliott's got to be on there with Jonathan Taylor. I, I don't understand that. Or even J.K., who who had a, his best. J.K. Dobbins did not have a good sophomore season, but his junior season is better than any season I think that Squam Barkley had. So, Barkley is one of those guys. I remember that that season. It felt like it was almost a predetermined thing, you know, like people had already set in their mind um, his senior season, you know, that he's yeah, or his final season that he is the guy and he had a great second half to the season before that and everybody was like okay this is our heisman candidate for the big right and then you and then you watched and you're like oh he's okay yeah he's fine like yeah you you draft him on your fantasy team sure 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 but it wasn't like you looked at ezekiel elliott and you're like yeah that's the guy and i think what bugs me about these these teams so like if i look at if i just looked at this in the vacuum and said okay saquon barkley and jonathan taylor um as as the two first teamers Yep, 
they're, yep, they're pretty good. And then you say, but what about Zeke? And you're like, oh, that feels like a big slight, you know, that Zeke's on the yeah. second team. Uh, where, you know, if you swapped either of those guys out, you know, like I don't think you would feel bad about Barkley on the second team. You'd look at Zeke and Jonathan Taylor, we're like, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Those two were straight edge. And I don't think any one of them in a vacuum, you would say that guy wasn't deserving of being a first teamer, but it just feels like such a slight to see uh, a guy like Zeke who was, you know, you you don't use the term generational talent willy nilly, but was a guy that did really incredible things. I mean, you know, vaulted himself up to the top two or three all time in Ohio state running back history, right? Nobody will ever touch uh, Archie Griffin is, you know, at least in my heart, but he vaulted himself right up there with Archie and Eddie George. And, and all of a sudden now you're talking about Ezekiel Elliott as one of those guys that you measure every other running back against. And so yeah. not seeing him on that list feels weird and wrong. Well, and then when you bring the data, like you did with Saquon, it's then you can say, yeah, this is kind of wonky. Why did we do this? Right. And Saquon, here's the thing. Like Saquon Barkley was also a very good pass catcher. And I don't want to take that away from him. And the dude had, I think I'm looking at the stats now. He had over a hundred uh, receptions for his career, which is nothing to sneeze at for a running back. And however, even if you combine all of his reception yards and his running yards, he still doesn't equal what Ezekiel Elliott was able to do just on the ground, right? And it's not like Zeke couldn't catch a pass either. The dude was very good in that respect as well. So I'm just saying, if you're looking at running backs, Ezekiel Elliott, to me, as a running back, you know, is is to me a, a, a better, and I would even say a much better running back overall than Saquon Barkley. Saquon Barkley is a great, great football player. I am not taking that away from him. But if you're looking at best running backs overall in the 2010s, I, it's, it's got to be Zeke. And, and you can put Taylor in there. I think that's totally fair. But Saquon is not, to me, the dude. Um, and again, there's a reason why Saquon Barkley is... I think going to be really good in the NFL. He has been good in the NFL and I think he's continue to be good is because he's so versatile and he's incredibly talented. Uh, but it, you know, I don't think he had nearly the kind of actual on the field impact that Zeke did. I'm also a little pissed about the linebacker choices. Uh, Devin Bush, very good linebacker. I'm not super excited about him on it. You know, not just because he's from Michigan, but because I don't think he ever really lit up uh, the crowd the way some of the other guys did. Uh, I think Chris Borland is a good, is a really good pick. He had a great career as Wisconsin. Uh, Josie Jewell at Iowa was a huge favorite with the Iowa fans. And I don't think he had much of an impact at all on the rest of the conference. That really feels like a sympathy pick for Iowa. Cause I don't know who else they're going to put on there, but how do you not put on Ryan Shazier? I saw Ryan Shazier. I, I went to the spring game uh, when he was a true freshman, when he was, it was first year on campus and he was lighting dudes up after, you know, having just been on campus for a little bit. And I, I was like, this guy's going to be a star. And it was evident from day one. And I, you got to put that dude on your on your top uh all decade team because it, it he was electric and it's it's terrible and sad what happened to him i'm glad obviously he's been able to rebound from that a little bit but uh that guy was one of the most fun defensive players i think i can remember watching in a long time yeah that to be like i'm i was annoyed about ezekiel elliott getting passed over i'm irate about 
Ryan Damshazier getting the snub of all snubs. Uh, it, it, that, that guy, I'm, I'm a huge fan for Ryan Shazier. In fact, um, you know, I, uh, when he, um, was injured in that game, we were watching that game, um, against Cincinnati and, and he's injured. Um, uh, I, I went and bought his Jersey. Now I'm typically of the camp that I, I don't wear NFL jerseys or Buckeye jerseys, you know, around town, like it's outerwear. And I know people have different opinions about whether or not hmm. men of a certain age should wear, uh, jerseys or not, but I went and bought a Ryan Chazier Jersey that day because I- I'm a huge fan of that guy. And just, you know, talk about a fellow that does it all right. And, you know, insert favorite sports cliche here, but I loved watching him play at Ohio state. And of course, you know, I've, I've acknowledged that uh, the stunning Mrs. Vance and I, or she got me into the, the steel cult. So it was easy to root for him sure. in the NFL as well. Uh, Cause that was kind of the team in our household. And, and um, you know, Josie jewel. Uh, I think you said it well, you, you like to think that I think they had 24 voters uh, on this yeah. all decade Let's, panel. Yeah, I wanted to bring that up. There's like seven Ohio state guys on this whole thing. You know, you've got, Urban Meyer, Josh Perry, uh, James Laurinaitis, all these dudes are on there. You got you got to stand for Ryan Chazier a little bit there uh, and get him on that list if you're if you're one of those guys. I feel like they dropped the ball a little bit because I yeah. I know what you're saying it's and, not... and, and it's and so like I'm I'm looking at this and saying all right if 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 th- it has to be where okay we're going through and we're going to make sure that every school has at least one selection. Yeah on the first team. That's the only thing that makes sense because you look and say, and they haven't released, you know, they've got the, the all decade offensive line. You're assuming there are probably going to be a couple of Ohio state guys on there. I mean, sure. how do you pick, how do you pick the all decade center when Ohio state's had what three Remington, two, two or three Remington award winners did. Okay. Which was it? Two or three. I'm not sure. Oh, elf line, elf line. And oh, okay, that's going to drive me crazy. But there were at least two Remington Award winners, so yeah. you're gonna you're gonna assume at least one of these all decade. You know, Taylor Decker was that this decade? Was that last decade? But you're gonna have you know quite a few guys potentially on first and second team offensive line. Ohio State is DBU, so those defensive backs. That's you've got to believe somebody's going to show up there. So defensive linemen, hey, hmm, a couple potential all-decade guys I can think of on Ohio State's. I mean, you could just do all defensive ends from Ohio State and be done. Right. Um, so I, I get it that they're they're trying to spread the love around. But well, man. here's here's what I'll say about Josie. Just kind of put the nails cuff a little bit. So in four years at Iowa, Josie Jewell had ten sacks, uh, twenty eight tackles for loss. In Ryan Shazier's final season, his junior season at Ohio State, he had seven ta- uh, seven sacks and 23 and a half tackles for loss. That is in one season that he had, and he nearly equaled the output of Jules' entire four-year career at, uh, at Iowa. He had 144 tackles in 2013. Um, yeah, 100 solo, 102 solo tackles. That's Ryan Shazier, look, Ryan Shazier not only deserves to be on this list, he's probably, he probably had the greatest single linebacking season uh, of any linebacker in the Big Ten in 2013, and, and he probably was the best of the decade, so he he 100% needs to be on that list. So we'll see what the rest of them look like. The offensive line is on Tuesday when this goes live. 
Wednesday is going to be tight ends and defensive backs. By the way, really Big Ten move to devote an entire day to the offensive line, but you do you, Big Ten Network. Uh, I'm, I'm all for it. You know, we're an offensive yeah. line-driven program, so I've yeah. been told. Fair. Uh, <laughs> Thursday is the wide receivers and defensive linemen. Friday is the all-decade quarterback, kicker, punter, all-purpose, and coach. Feels like you're cramming a lot into the last day, but yeah. whatever. Uh, I'm not the one deciding the scheduling for this. And, uh, you know, Ohio State will get will get theirs. Uh, I actually really, really hope that as a um, very proper, you know, reflection of, you know, maybe life imitating art that Urban Meyer does not get the all big, all big 10 decade like coach. And they just give it to like Kirk Ferris or somebody else because, you know, <laughs> unless you're Ryan day, apparently you can't win big 10 coach of the year. So I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure it's in the bylaws. You know? Yeah. So, so it would be really good if it was like Pat Fitzgerald or something like that. That would make me Pat. Yeah. Yeah. He but, 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 but if they release this, but see, I, I think they're releasing this stuff on, on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram. So Pat, Pat will miss it because he's <laughs> not sure what a Twitter is. You That's know, right. So, and well, and you know, Kirk Ferentz will only be able to see one of these teams. Right. Right. right? right. So, well, two, because technically two, if he, if he had planned it correctly, if he saved his one lone tweet for the end of June, and then he was able to burn the first one at the beginning yeah. of July, he might be able to see two of these teams instead of just one. He it has to be work. careful with it though. And I hope he hasn't already spent his one tweet. So, so you gotta you gotta manage the amount of pre-approved social media posts. Right. That you're yeah, very important. Right. Uh I did note, and I we didn't talk about this um last week, but the BTN panelists have also voted for the Big Ten men's basketball all decade team. That's there were right. a couple of familiar faces there. Evan Turner uh made the first team. Uh great, great, great selection. Their yep. second team, uh, Jared Sullinger made the second team. Aaron Kraft, the rosy-cheeked assassin, uh, was <laughs> on the third team all decade, as was D'Angelo Russell. It's kind of weird seeing Russell as a third teamer, but you, you know you kind of have to acknowledge, I guess, that there have been quite a few pretty good basketball players over the class, yeah. the course of the last ten years. Um, from the big 10. So, you know, maybe Kraft, I won't pick too many nits with that. Yeah. Kraft on the third team might be like Ohio state fans might look at that and go, Oh, come on, Aaron Kraft. But the guy for all his defensive brilliance, and he is one of the best defenders, I think in Ohio state basketball history, uh, it just was very often a very large liability on offense. So I, I don't have a problem with him being third team. I do think that D'Angelo Russell I mean, it was just one season, and, and that impacts things, and it makes it difficult to assess, yeah. especially over the course of an entire decade. But that For dude sure. is a really special talent, and he played on a really garbage team and Pretty terrible. deserves maybe a little bit more respect from Ohio State fans. And he, and he the, the thing I love about D'Angelo Russell, and this is a guy, he is a he's a B-tier talent right now who I think could develop into an A-tier talent in the NBA just he gets shuffled around so much because people see his potential and as a result, it becomes trade fodder. Um, but I really hope that he just is able to stay where he's at and, and develop and become a player that, uh, you know, everybody else knows about. And, you know, I'm glad that he continues to really show a lot of love for Ohio state. Cause you know, he's, he seems like a good dude and um, a, a good representative of the uh, the program, so we'll see how that goes. But which is, anyway, is a good segue into remembering that we are four days away 
from basketball returning to the capital city. That's right. Uh, the basketball <laughs> tournament kicks off Saturday, July 4th. Um, I, I, are you, are you going to be tuning in for the basketball tournament? What, how, like, how are you planning to spend your independence day weekend? Will you be watching basketball? Uh, I think I will, you know, I'm, I'm the Carmen's crew, all those guys, you know, I'm, I'm interested to see how it goes. I wasn't following too closely until they really started going towards the, uh, you know, the final stages of the tournament last time, but I got sucked in and I got emotionally invested and I was like, damn, I did not think that I would care about this as much as I do. But when they were playing, I don't remember the name of the team they were playing, but that, that team had not lost to that point. And you're in the championship. And these are some guys who were denied a chance at a championship at various stages in their college careers, which I was very familiar with because I had been both a student and somebody, you know, a recent graduate following all of this. And yeah, it's stupid, but to me, it felt like it was a little bit of redemption. So I want to see how it develops in the summer. I want to see how it goes. And you know, again, is it a replacement for a, an NCAA tournament title? No. But does it make me feel a little bit better and allow me to sleep at night? Yeah, a little bit. I'm not going to lie. So, yeah, I think I'll be I'll be tuning in and, and hopefully everything goes well. Everybody stays healthy and they, they win some games. It sounds like Overseas Elite has has reloaded and are probably the favorites to to knock off our champions from Carmen's crew. But, man, it's going to be fun watching these guys. That's the thing I love about this is watching these guys you know, who are still uh, pretty darn good at playing basketball. So you got Willie Buckets, uh, the rosy cheeked assassin, John Threebler. Uh, I know you're a big fan of Threebler, you know, Dallas oh. Lauderdale, David Lauder, uh, David Lighty, Jared Sullinger, Deshaun Thomas, Lindsell Smith. Like those are, those are guys you really enjoyed watching back in the day. Uh, and so, you know, getting to see them, especially with it being in Columbus, um, at at Covelli Center, that that's going to be a ball. Uh, yeah. Just just a, it's going to be weird not having you know the the full fans in the stands effect. But uh, yeah, I think it'll be I think it'll be exciting. And there's some other storylines too there with Big X and uh, you know so there's some other uh, Ohio State related um, teams or or at least Central Ohio related teams in the mix. So it'll be fun. It'll be fun. Yeah, yeah. I would I would recommend people check that out. And you know, it's it's live sports. <laughs> in a in a time when that seems to be in very short supply and you know i'm not exactly staying up till 3 a.m to watch korean baseball yet but you know i i may soon reach that point so i will be happy for some live sports on fourth of july weekend i I watched uh i watched a wrestling pay-per-view over the weekend not there you go not 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 WWE as in wrestling, but actual freestyle wrestling. There was a, uh, a, a program called Rumble on the Rooftop that um, featured some of, in fact, featured Ohio State alumnus Luke Pletcher in one of the co-headlining matches the night. Um, Luke didn't walk away with the W, but but he wrestled a great match. And you don't you know you don't realize how like starred for sports you've been until you're you know you're paying 19 bucks to watch a dozen matches <laughs> that are taking place literally on a rooftop in chicago no, <laughs> you know kind of like uh, the beatles getting back together right for the yeah, uh, right on performance so and and so for ohio state wrestling fans as a side note pletcher will be in another 
um, televised. So Flow Wrestling in about two weeks has a has a uh, another one coming up, and Pletcher's going to be wrestling Rutgers alumnus Anthony Ashnall. It's going to be a great match, and I think um, cool. stacks up really well for Pletcher. So I'll have more about that here in a couple weeks as it gets closer to match time. Um, in in the pages of Eleven Warriors, I encourage you to to read that. I hear it's a very good site with lots of good sports information. Yeah. Yeah. Occasionally, you know, not too bad. Uh, <laughs> um, so that is, that's kind of our takes on some of the, the listicles that we've got here, um, you know, and then off season content, but we do want to remind you that the 11 dubcast is sponsored by the dry goods store at 11 warriors. So dry goods dot 11 warriors.com. So we got the, we, we're working on the masks. If you got the, if you got the itch to make sure that you're staying safe and keeping those around you safe, we do have those on the site. We're getting those replenished, so definitely check those out. Uh, as as well as all of our you know traditional hats, shirts, and all those good things. So uh, let's do some ask us anything. Remember, you can send us questions to ask us anything to dubcast at eleven warriors dot com or at eleven dubcast on um, Twitter. So our question here, we've got a question from Matt in Minneapolis, and Matt writes a uh i will say he put a lot of thought into this so i can't read the entire thing but he kind of goes back to our discussion about sports movies and he thinks that we might have uh given the short shrift to a couple of hockey movies actually as he says he's a football movie guy tried and true but because he lives in minnesota um he thinks that we are remiss by not mentioning miracle or slapshot uh which i do want to say that is legit like i really miracle to me is one of those movies i typically kind of like turn my nose up a little bit and i'm like that's a little too cheesy for me but i actually really enjoy miracle and slapshot is of course a classic um but i'm gonna read some of these that he mentions that we didn't uh so let's see basketball diaries the wrestler the color of money which eh, that's cool that doesn't count uh the mighty ducks (laughs) uh 61 which was barry pepper being roger maris which i actually that's i think a better movie than people give it credit for being creed which is really good um uh bennett like beckham which i haven't seen but i want to ford v ferrari which i just saw which is really good point break he says the remake i disagree bull durham (laughs) which is not a baseball movie um i know people want to say it's a baseball movie it's not a freaking baseball movie uh, Friday Night Lights, Million Dollar Baby, which we did not mention. Good call out on that one. Lords of Dogtown, which is a skater movie, uh, hmm. which, yeah, it's fine. Uh, Love and Basketball, World's Fastest Indian, which um, that, I believe, was a Anthony Hopkins movie. I'm not sure. It's about like a, uh, a race car. Cinderella Man, which, meh. Eight Men Out, The Hurricane, and his number one, regardless of sport, Rush. What he wants to talk about, though, and this is kind of a sidebar, is talking about uh, Stallone and some of the things that he's done for, like, putting on, you know, weight and losing weight for uh, performances that he's done. Mm -hmm. And I kind of mentioned this when we talk about Rocky, you know, that you can definitely see the evolution of the PEDs that Stallone is taking (laughs) as the Rocky movie, (laughs) which is really fantastic. Um, But I want to ask you, is there any... I'm going to let me let me expand this a little, a little bit away from uh, sports movies. Is there any actor or actress that you think really embodied an athletic role in the terms of like physicality and really made you believe that they were like a quote unquote athlete or at least doing a physical 
uh, performance where you're like, wow, okay, I can really put that person in in that in that role. Because we talked about that a little bit with uh, old Burt Reynolds in The Longest Yard. But is there anybody else where you could go, okay, I can see that person being a linebacker or a, you know skydiving spy or something like that? I'm laughing because when you said uh, spy, we we just over the weekend watched my spy on Amazon Prime. Okay. And uh, Dave Batista. Oh yeah, uh, Dave Batista. Yeah, hell yeah. Plays. So, so I don't know if you follow. This is not a sports movie, so it's just totally a random segue. But, but you said spy, and it made me think like we just watched this movie 24 hours ago, and it's adorable. So, by the way, if you if you're an Amazon Prime user, go go watch My Spy. It was a hoot. I don't know how I would have felt if I'd have paid you know thirty dollars to go see it at at Easton at the, mm-hmm. at the theater but I totally enjoyed watching it. And so, you know, Batista basically plays the same character he played in, in guardians of the galaxy. I think that's kind of his, his lane is to play Drax. Just that's a really good choice without blue makeup, paint prosthetics, yeah. you know, but, but picture if Drax was a CIA agent who ended up, uh, you know, palling around with a, an 11 or 12 year old girl. Like it's just, it's cute and heartwarming and, and adorable, but yeah. So back to athletes. I mean, I, your example of Rocky to me is one where like you totally bought in, in the original one in particular, because it fit the story, you know, here he is the schlub who's trying to make it and you're watching yeah. him chase chickens around, you know, alleys and, and uh, you know, not the barnyard, but, and, and watching him just, slam his fist into these sides of beef and you you kind of <laughs> see that transformation and it fits the story so well like i i love watching shows and movies where you're where you just walk away from it and say god i don't know how they could have cast that any better because there's so many times when you watch a movie you say man this was a great movie but i really think they got this character wrong or they got th- they didn't cast this right and a lot right. of times that's where you've read a book or if it's based on a true story or whatever it happens to be. Um, But, but, but that's one where you walk away and say, you know, and, and with Carl Weathers too, um, as, as Apollo, like totally believable that, Mm -hmm. that Carl Weathers was this trash talking King of the ring. Um, So good, you know, and, but, but of course he was very athletic anyway. I mean, in every movie he was ever been in, um, so I think that's a really great example. There are so think, many of them where it's the opposite, right? Like, yeah, no, I can't picture Keanu Reeves as the quarterback of <laughs> right. a major football team. Like, no, right. I can't. <laughs> well, and the thing is, so boxing is interesting because the sport is just two people shirtless in a ring beating the hell out of each other. And that necessarily is going to require the actor to physically embody something. I think more than, you know, in a hockey movie, for example, it's You're pretty up. rare, yeah. Pretty rare that the actors are actually even skating, right? So you, they'll they'll get it, they'll put on the skates and they'll be by the boards or whatever for the close up shots, and then everybody, somebody else is doing the actual skating. But in in boxing, it's really really hard to to fake that, especially if you have multiple fights and things like that. So I, you know, in movies like Raging Bull or Million Million Dollar Baby or Cinderella Man or things like that or Creed it's interesting to me to watch the physicality of the actor and how they try to embody that character. And I really think that is the most fascinating to watch those boxing movies because of, of the transformation those, those actors and actresses have to, you know, kind of take on. And I really, so I don't know that I'm a big fan, you know, I'll watch, I'll watch boxing in real life and especially like the heavyweights and they're not always ripped. I mean, they're just huge ass dudes 
mm-hmm. who can wail on each other. Yeah. And so that's why when I see something like Raging Bull, Robert De Niro, you know, the guy can clearly box and it looks, you know, he looks like he's a, a veteran, but he's not hulked out. He's not super huge. Or Million Dollar Baby, where Hillary Swank looks like somebody who's been in a ring, but she's not, you know, 2% body fat and, you know, jumping around stuff like that that to me really makes me like it gets me into the story when they look like an athlete but not necessarily a superhero and um i don't know it's just it's 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 cool to see that transformation and you know actors that can put on that kind of you know weight and dedicate it just it's crazy to me how they're able to do that so i mean i think it's a fascinating process I think this question also gets at why, like when we were looking through our list and, and Mike um, was Mike, right? Mike from Minneapolis yeah, had, had a good point that we were Matt, sorry, had, um, it was pretty football heavy or, you know, when I think about sports movies, of course, I think I get Hoosiers was my, was my top pick, but you, you can do more with football and boxing. So with boxing, just like you said, you can, you can get, you can achieve the look that you're going for. Um, and, and because it's one-on-one and you can do more things with camera angles and so on. hockey, okay. It's easier to bring in stuntmen, body doubles, put them in pads and you can kind of fake that. So there's a lot of hockey movies, um, football, same thing, right? When you, when you get everybody suited up in pads and camera work, cinematography, you can zoom in on the close-up shots and you don't necessarily have to be a fantastic, uh, football player to play in a football movie basketball movies like I, I find really interesting as you've talked about this we didn't have as many basketball movies talking about Hoosiers I think I mentioned Glory Roads one of my favorites mm-hmm. um, but I was looking <laughs> I found this article on Esquire which you know the epitome of great um, sports writing in the in the cinema space I'm sure but it was like the top 20 basketball movies of all time and number 18 was Teen Wolf. <laughs> Which, I got Good no choice. hate in my heart for Teen Wolf, but I didn't think about it as A, a basketball movie. And if I had, I didn't think about it as one of the top 20 of all time. Yeah. But I think, you know, is, is, is basketball a harder movie to make and to fit that question that you, you asked about looking like or making you believable as an athlete? Maybe that's why the best basketball movies I can think of are with younger players like Hoosiers or, you know, Glory right. Road. Um, you're talking about college players as opposed to, you know, NBA, what Space Jam, that's about, that's about <laughs> it, right? Well, we didn't talk about Space Jam. I, I think it does require also a director who understands the sport or at least has some idea about how to, you know, make it look cinematic. But um, there, there are a lot of bad basketball <laughs> movies. I will say one thing I thought about this, I'll, I'll get us out of here on this. If you want to watch some truly atrocious basketball in a movie, uh, the movie Catwoman with Halle Berry has a scene where she's like, she's just gotten her powers as a cat woman. And she is uh, doing a one-on-one with Benjamin Bratt on a basketball court. Who's like her love interest. And it's this minute and a half sequence where they're playing, you know, this kind of like sensual basketball (laughs) And it's funny because the the movie is directed, I think, by a, a French dude. But regardless, the guy had no experience directing a movie. He'd only directed commercials before he directed Catwoman. And you can really tell, especially in that scene, because there is a cut, literally two or three per second. So there's hundreds of cuts in this minute and a half time frame 
And it's because he has no idea how to shoot basketball. And more clearly, Halle Berry and Benjamin Bratt have no idea how to play basketball. So I really, <laughs> really recommend that you watch it and check it out. It's pretty hilarious. It's the highlight of the movie. And really, there's no reason to watch the rest of it if you've seen that. But uh, it's it's pretty great. So, yeah, I, I love talking about this. And I appreciate, Matt, thank you for sending that in and, and reminding us about some pretty damn good ones that we might have overlooked. And please continue sending in more questions to ask us anything, and we'll keep a- answering them because it is the the long dark off season of our souls. So we got to make sure that we we pack it with some light. Um, but that's the dubcast for this week. Please come back; we- we'd love to have you. And uh, until then, until next time, I'm Johnny. I'm Andy, and we'll see you. <laughs>